this is a short three-week series rooted in Galatians chapter 5. We learned from Pastor Farrell last week, if I might jump right into an introduction, that in order to bear fruit, in order to produce fruit, we have got to work on clearing out the debris of religion. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this before we get into today's text because it is foundational and not all of you would have been here last week. When we say that we want to clear out the debris of religion, please understand that Paul is angrier with the church of Galatia than he is in any of his other letters. In fact, in chapter 3, he calls them foolish Galatians, there's a lot of exclamation marks that we're encouraged not to use in emails. Paul chooses to use them. He's upset. He lays down the hammer and he says, you've got to quit arguing over this circumcision stuff. And if you're wondering, we're not talking about the kind of pure and faultless religion that James speaks of. He told us that there's a religion that the God in heaven, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless. And it's this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's good religion. Turn to your neighbor, if you will, and say, that's good religion. Well done. So when we say that the first step to bearing fruit is to clear out the debris of religion, we're talking about the clearing of the ground of bad religion, not good religion. So here's what happened. The Apostle Paul is writing to Galatian believers because they've given themselves over, they've succumbed to another gospel. Instead of believing the truth that salvation is by faith alone, these Galatian believers have given in to false teachers who have said, faith in Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, that's not enough for salvation. I don't know that they came out and said this, but they sure acted like it. You do need to do more. And we're not to your outline yet, but if you would kindly write this little formula in the margin of your notes, I do think it is, again, important, pertinent to today's matter as well. This is the formula. Jesus plus anything equals religion. Jesus plus anything equals religion. We are not saved, glory to God, by good works or good looks. We are not saved by anything apart from grace through faith and to fruit bearing. Okay? So while God expects us to bear fruit, there's no doubt about that. Let me be clear. Our fruit bearing is not in and of itself salvific. It does not have a saving function. Heaven is not going to be filled, thank the Lord, with a bunch of me monsters. I gave $500 to United Way. How did you do? Oh yeah, well I gave $1,000 to United Way and I helped three old ladies cross the street. How poor would heaven be if, if it came to the tune of a bunch of people bragging about themselves? Instead, 
We get to heaven by grace through faith to fruit bearing alone. The devil will introduce the debris of religion in every single generation. This is why Paul is so upset about this. Paul views the church in crisis. So don't let someone, anyone in your life, add on to sola fide by, by faith alone, not wearing, for example, a ball cap to church. You're not admitted to heaven by sola fide, faith alone, and not wearing a ball cap to church. You're not admitted to heaven by sola fide, by faith alone, and by abstaining from Harry Potter. You're not welcome through the gates in heaven by believing in sola fide and that someone else, your neighbor, must vote for your candidate of choice. Hello. You can't clear a farm. Did you know this? I, we, my wife and I, we, we owned, I, I like hunting as much as Pastor Farrell does, which is about why I'm embittered. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm electing not to hunt this season. Um, but I will tell you that my wife and I were privileged to own some land in Wisconsin. And we had a, an amazing farmer that had been doing it for 50 years who cultivated the fields. He leased space from us to make corn and soybeans. And did you know that a field, the earth, pushes up rock year after year after year? You can't just clear a field of debris once and have a field that's good in perpetuity. You have to continue to work season after season after season for fertile ground. Paul views the religion in the church in Galatia as a crisis more than even the crazies in Corinth who I heard someone call, um, what was it, Corinthians gone wild on one occasion. Even more than they the Apostle Paul gets tough with the Galatians and he begs them to turn back to the beauty, the beauty of salvation by faith alone. The simplicity of a dead, then alive again, Savior. That's our hope. So now that was a setup from last week by way of review. Last week was about field work. This week is about weed control. Would you kindly stand with me this morning in honor of God's word? We're going to read aloud together. We're going to begin in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible to turn to Galatians 5, you can read it on the screen behind me. We don't stand, by the way, to impress the Lord. We stand to cherish him. Amen? So let's read together. Are you ready? So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You may be seated. The big idea of today's text is that we be led by the Spirit and avoid the temptations of the flesh. As a Pharisee, and out of his own tension, the Apostle Paul testifies to the flesh and spirit being in perpetual conflict. There is a rub there that is timeless and will continue until Jesus comes back. The law was given to help us understand right from wrong. It was never meant to be this weapon that we wield against our own sinfulness. In fact, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit the helper, and he is the one who provides help to walk in freedom over sin. How many of you have tried and tried and tried in your life and you found that if you allow the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, to enable you to breathe life into you that that it was a little easier to overcome sin? Amen. Amen? So that's what Paul's getting at today. The solution to our sinfulness is not found in fighting the flesh, but rather in welcoming then the spirit. Grit and elbow grease can certainly produce physical fruit, sure, but they seldom help in producing spiritual fruit. If you're taking notes, here comes the first point in your outline. Weeds and fruit fight for the same soil. Likewise, spirit and flesh fight for the same human heart. Weeds and, weeds and fruit fight for the same soil. Flesh and spirit fight for the same heart. I'm not sure how much you know about weeds, but I read the following from a Fairway Green article. It's a Charlotte Lawn Care company, and I found this quite interesting. Weeds are considered opportunistic. They grow when conditions are favorable. Such as specific temperatures, lawn moisture levels, bare or thin turf areas, and can even grow in cracks in the road, sidewalks, or driveways. Weeds can grow anywhere that there is room for them to grow. Weed seeds come in abundance and from many sources while also having the ability to lay dormant in the soil or soul, I almost said, for years before germinating. When actively growing, weeds produce thousands of seeds per plant and disperse them throughout the season. Some weeds like dandelions are spread with a little help from the wind Other sources of weeds include poor quality grass seed purchased from the store and soils brought in for new plantings. The article concludes, to get rid of weeds, keep your lawn dense. We might apply, keep your heart full of God. Fertilize regularly. Spend time in the word. Cultivate a prayer life. Mow with grass blades high. Having a little harder time coming up with a spiritual analogy for that one. 
and water properly. Like weeds and grass are pitted against each other, vying for the same room in the soil. The flesh and spirit are the same. The presence of weeds, I think you would agree, reduces the likelihood of good fruit. The converse is also true. The presence of good fruit reduces the likelihood of weeds. Now, an apple orchard would have been a really, really fitting analogy. After all, it's what's represented um, in our graphic to accompany the series, but the creative team told me that my apple orchard request on stage was a bit unreasonable, so I chose to go with sod. Okay? How many of you would say, my lawn looks like this beautiful sod? Raise your hand if your lawn looks like this sod. Oh, come on, there's got to be a few of you like my father in this room. Anybody here? There we go. Don't just be bold. Embrace your wonderful lawn. You are the average American homeowner. This is great grass, isn't it? It's thick. It's monospecies. There's not a weed to be found in this. Its roots are deep. You would have a very hard time pulling this grass out once it has been established. This looks like the Palace of Versailles when you manicure it appropriately. It is truly, truly beautiful. I heard someone say once, it's not like you can find this stuff in a virgin forest, right? And you just walk through and say, oh, alas, a patch of lawn. You know, we can't do that, right? This has got to be cared for. This takes work. By contrast, how many of you would say, you know, my lawn looks a bit more like this? Okay? You have some pernicious weeds. You have some things that are vying for control. The presence of the weeds makes the root depth of your grass all the more tenable. This is hard to maintain. This gets ugly really quickly. Okay? I want to read the correlating tension from Galatians chapter 5. In fact, we've already read it, but I want to read it directly from the word and make a little parallel here. Verse 16, so I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. The spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then we find this not far from it in the book of Romans, verses 15 through 21 You'll probably remember this passage, same idea. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For 
I do not understand what I do for what I, I hate to do that I end up doing. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's I no longer myself who do it. It's the sin living in me, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do this over here, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, he said, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Second point, weeds and fruit react to maintenance. Isn't that true? Or the lack thereof. Weeds and fruit react to maintenance, flesh and spirit respond to surrender. Verse 18, Paul writes, but if you are led by the Spirit, do you know what that Greek word for led, ago, how it's working there? It's active, meaning this is personal. This is involvement by the part of the Holy Spirit. We have actual help. This means that the Holy Spirit was given in part to sanctify us to present us as holy and blameless before God or to put in layman's terms to pull the weeds out that was a part of what the Lord sent the Holy Spirit to do he said a helper will come to pull the weeds out and this isn't some ordinary help this is a supernatural help my father-in-law, late father-in-law, Dan Cummer, he was saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was a former hellraiser in the, in the Navy himself. He immediately began to grow and foster when he gave his heart to the Lord, this fondness for what God loves. And he began to absolutely despise what God forbids. Not everyone's sanctification process happens that quickly. For some folks, it takes years. I would say for all of us, it takes a lifetime. It's just that some move at a more rapid pace. Last week, Pastor Farrell referred to a beautiful portion of scripture written by John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends. At the beginning of chapter 15, John said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What a beautiful portion of scripture. But listen to how John concludes the chapter. That was how he opened the chapter. Listen to how he concludes the same chapter. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, when the helper comes, when the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father he will testify about me. What's your point, Pastor? The point is that you have an intercessor who is regularly pleading to the Father on your behalf in the Holy Spirit. A helper 
in the third member of the triune God. He's breathing his life into us if we'll surrender and allow him to do so. It's not so much laboring to pull all the junk out of your life as it is surrendering to God and allowing him to help you. Simply choosing not to be bad lasts about as long as it does between your next opportunity to do bad. Simply choosing not to be bad lasts a short while. Instead, we cultivate a deepening relationship with Jesus. So when we're led by the Spirit, we do what is right, not under, here's the key, obligation or compulsion. We do what is right out of freedom. How beautiful is that? It's not, out of, it's not by some, somebody saying, you need to be circumcised. You can't wear a hat in church. I condemn you for this family behavior. It's about Jesus being our choice. We choose, amen, who we will serve. We elect Christ. We want to follow Christ. Romans 8, 5 through 6, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I just feel led to share this morning. Somebody here needs to know God is not a killjoy. I don't know who told you that. I'm sorry if somebody in the church gave you that impression. God is the most thrilling thing that could ever happen to you. In fact, in fact, God wants to kill the things that rob your joy. That's his heart for you. Number three, while weeds and fruit attest to neglect and care, respectively, Flesh and spirit bring death and life, respectively. If we're led by the flesh, we will yield the most pernicious of weeds. If we're led by the spirit, we will bear really good fruit. Apart from the transforming work of the spirit, we instinctually, where do we gravitate? Toward the flesh. That's our nature. That's original. This is why Jesus said, remain in me. Right? You have to remain in me. It's not a once and done. As, and this is encouraging, as also I will remain in you. How great is that? What a poignant little collection of words. When we remain in God, he remains inside of us. If we don't remain in God, we're neglecting our fields, we're neglecting our faith. If we remain in God, we're caring for our fields, we're caring for our faith. Neglect brings death, care brings life. Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it's got to remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Galatians 5.24 echoes this thought, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, 
with its passions and desires. Romans 6, verses 6 through 7, shared a similar thought. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I just want to share an illustration with you in closing. I was in college at Lee University, which is about five hours, maybe a little under from here, to the west in the eastern part of Tennessee. And I remember uh, rushing this fraternity at Lee. Yes, they do have fraternities at Bible colleges, although you're typically a little better off joining one of those. But I joined, and it wasn't until the following spring that everybody was talking about a spring break to Panama City. Now, I'll tell you, I have nothing against traveling to Panama City, depending on the condition of your heart and what you're looking to gain in Panama City. But I knew that some of my friends and roommates were hoping to gain what was not pure and faultless religion, frankly, what was quite worldly. And I began to have this deep, deep tension between this stuff and this stuff. I wanted to yield to the Spirit of God, but I felt a battle inside of me drawing me this direction. Now, I'm sure some of my friends made it to Panama and back without any major scars and had a great time. Maybe they even did a devotional each morning when they woke up. But I can confidently tell you that many of my friends made tragic decisions on that trip that changed the trajectory of their lives. I remember riding home. I decided not to go. And I remember riding home in a Jeep Wrangler and being so overwhelmed by the presence and power of God in that vehicle. And I was just overjoyed. Up until that point, I had been absolutely miserable that everybody had different spring break plans than I did. And somewhere in eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina, God met me in my Jeep, and I remember singing to the top of my lungs a spontaneous song that I wrote and remember to this day. Now, I don't lead worship anymore. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll tell you the lyrics. In tears, I said, I sang, if I could be anywhere, Lord, I would be here. Just right here with you, singing you this song. It's in your presence that I feel so very near, so close to your throne. And that is where I belong. And I sang more and more passionately. And my foot got heavier and heavier. And truth be told, I saw berries and cherries in the rearview mirror, and I ended up getting pulled over on that occasion and given a ticket. But it was good while it lasted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was a great moment with Jesus. What is vying for your heart right now? Is it pernicious works of the flesh that tempt and chide and mock? 
that give you angst, that make you feel more guilty than before you engaged in the sin, that leave you miserable, suffocated, that make your marriage contentious? Or is it the life of the Spirit? Pure and faultless religion. Desiring more of the Lord. I asked you a question earlier. I'll ask you a question again. First, will you stand with me this morning? Here's the question. I'm just going to swap out the word lawn for the word faith. Okay? Is this what your faith looks like today? Or is this what your faith looks like today? Just answer in your own heart, at your seat. Do you have things competing for the attention of God? Or are you fully devoted to him? Are your roots deep? Can you not be uprooted? Uh, I'll even give you another option for kicks. Maybe some of you look awesome on the outside but you're nothing more than a good-looking inanimate object in terms of your faith. That's turf. Turf looks beautiful. Turf is dead. Turf is, for a spiritual analogy, pharisaical. These are those that Jesus called whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Maybe this is you today. Here's what I'll tell you. The forgiveness and grace of Jesus is available to you no matter where you're at, and he can make you white as snow. He can heal you. He can set you free from addiction. He can release you from pride and put togetherness to an authentic living relationship with himself. I want to read to you in closing a prayer of repentance. This is our time of response. I would just invite you to listen. Written by a gal named Rebecca Barlow Jordan. Here is what she prayed. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the sin struggle in my life. I feel distant from you. My choices have not led me into the right places. I've listened to the whispers of my enemy instead of your words in scripture and the result has been disastrous. I once walked with you. you my, my heart was tender to your leading and yet little by little I exchanged excuse me for just a moment. I exchanged truths for temptations and deceit that led me away from you. Instead of taking thoughts captive and confessing them immediately, I allowed them to grow totally out of control. Repentance was not in my vocabulary. Blame, cover-ups, or trying to reason and rationalize sin never work. They only give birth to deeper sin entanglements. You, Lord, you created me in your own image. You know my thoughts before I speak them. You x-ray my heart. You see through my excuses and my intentions. Your spirit warned me, but I ignored you. Disappointment and discouragement have taken their toll on me. So today, Lord, I'm confessing my desperate need for you. 
You've promised that if we will confess our sin to you, you'll forgive us, you'll make us clean again. Lord, I truly need your forgiveness. Repentance is on my heart and lips. I want to turn around and head another direction. Back to you, Lord, but I need your help. Just as you created the world out of nothing, Lord, create a clean heart out of my nothingness. You paid for my sin with your own death. Restore my life and the fellowship we once shared together. You don't condemn me, Lord. You won't disown me, Lord. I am your child forever. But I take all the blame. I own my own sin. I am the one who broke fellowship with you. I am crushed over the way I treated you in your name. Lord, root out the darkness and light up my life with your holy presence. Help me understand what went wrong. Show me how my destructive patterns first began. What did I allow to become more important than loving and honoring you? Why did I seek satisfaction in others or other things than you? You are the only one who provides all my needs. You fill up my soul with deep down joy and peace beyond all understanding. Lord, may your restoration include new boundaries in my life. I can't flirt with sin and not be hurt. In restoring me, teach me how to say no again to things which could harm myself or my testimony. If my actions have wounded others, show me where and to whom I need to ask for forgiveness and how to make amends. Help me to surround myself with encouragers who will hold me accountable, who will speak the truth in love. Truly, shame melts away and we are healed when we confess to others and ask for their help. I understand that my repentance won't eliminate the consequences of my sin. Knowing that you don't hold our sins to our account, you remember them no more, and that you place them as far as the east is from the west both humbles me and fills me with amazement and gratitude. No consequence could ever be as painful as knowing how my sin hurt you or how you suffered for me out of love. Your crucifying death gave me eternal life with you. Lord, you place grace next to my regrets and you give me hope for a new future. If you would resonate this morning with anything in that prayer of repentance, would you just raise your hand, anything at all, in that prayer of repentance. I just want to pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we are sinners. Lord, we desire grace. Lord, we need you more than yesterday. Lord, when the sin of, when the sin of one man in the camp, Achan, caused trouble for the whole nation, Lord, imagine what beauty, what fruit might be produced with a congregation around Lake Norman who's passionately pursuing you in holiness. Lord, we desire you. Lord, kill that in our lives which is robbing us of joy. Put it to death, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We need you, Father. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, I want to encourage you today that if you uh, don't know Jesus, if you would come down front, we would love to speak with you, meet you, pray with you. If you have something that's rotting you to the core, do you remember that passage where David said, I confess my sin to the Lord? My sin was rotting me to the core. Something's eating you alive. Tell somebody, tell somebody, find a, a safe conversation and express that. And if you'd like to take communion, the elements are here for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.